Uh, now we're going to have a word of testimony. Uh, Philip Kernahan uh, is going to come now, and we know that he has a wonderful testimony of how the Lord has worked in his life. So, Philip, please come ahead. Well, this is a wee bit scary, but we'll get through it. Uh, just want to thank Rodney and John for uh, asking me to come and testify tonight. Uh, it's been a real, well, daunting experience, but I'm sort of last-minute sort of guy, but we got there and got us prepared. Uh, I also want to thank the Lord for saving me and giving me a testimony uh, and for giving me the encouragement to come up here, and I, I hope tonight will be encouragement to those who are saved and even unsaved. I just want to start off by uh, reading a passage from the Bible. Uh, you can turn to it if you wish. It's found in Haggai. I would kind of have a habit of just opening the Bible randomly, and if I'm ever in a situation where I'm struggling, and just pick out a verse which has really uh, stuck out to me. So the night I got asked to testify, I just opened up the, the Bible, and this is the verses I uh, came across. So it's Haggai chapter 1, and verses 5. Uh, to seven. And it reads, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled. With drink ye clothe you, but there, there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. So I was born into a Christian home uh, 1995, and I was raised on a dairy farm just outside Brisbane. Uh, and uh, I was uh, brought to all the meetings within Bali Baptist Church just up the road. And uh, although being on a dairy farm was quite busy for my dad, and uh, some Sunday nights it was quite a struggle to get out, uh, so we were went to night our meetings after church. Uh, which included Tinnies and Castle Gore and other such missions that were going on around the local area. I always enjoyed going to these meetings because you were always uh, guaranteed a good supper after the meeting or invited to someone's house for a good, good yarn and crack. But it was after one of these meetings uh, at Tinnies Orange Hall when I came home after the meeting with obviously no supper and I felt real, a real worry the next day or for the next day if something was to happen to me on the farm. And it was a worry of, of if something happened, where I would be going, whether it be heaven or hell. And mums being mums, she knew as she came into the bedroom that there was something wrong with me that night. And at the age of eight, my mum, she led me to the Lord. But after that night, I, uh, I never had the urge or excitement to learn any more about God. And that I didn't understand why other people who I heard from other testimonies had the excitement in their lives and they wanted to move on with God. But I didn't. So I just went about my life normal, going to Sunday school meetings and thinking I was saved, but not enjoying the learning and more learning more about God and what He had done for me in my life. As I moved on into big school, things uh, got a wee bit more difficult. As all I wanted to do was to fit in with all the popular kids and uh, have nothing to do with God. I started to hang out with friends who were not a good influence in my life. I always had a conscience in the back of my mind I was doing wrong and I always had the courage to say no to things that I knew were going too far or not good for me in my life and knowing that also if I got caught I would have two angry parents to deal with so I went through big school pretending not to be a Christian and have no interest in church and keep my faith separate 
From big school, I then moved onto the tech to study bench joinery. Started to drive and become more independent and free to go to places that a Christian should never be. And from there, I fell more and more into sin. I started to attend young farmer events, go to clubs and pubs and party and drift further, further away from God, leaving from going to church. But again, as I was back in school, I always had a conscience in the back of my mind I was doing wrong and said no to situations where I knew it was just going too far. As time went on, I was going out most weekends, partying, involving myself with friends who had no interest in God or church, and my life soon became consumed with lying to my parents and hiding my life from them, which is hard to do. I then fell into a relationship with a girl where we both had no interest in God, but I always had in the back of my mind that the Lord could save us someday and we both could have a happy life together. But instead, it led me to feel more and more uncontent with my life and dragged me deeper into sin, knowing that I wasn't in the right in the eyes of God and that it was hurting my parents to watch me go down this path. And eventually, I got to the stage where I knew I just had to change my life. I was fed up with the lying, partying, deceitfulness of my life. I had to consider my ways. So I ended the relationship. I slowly stopped going out. I started to come to hear Balmina Free with my friend Tam, who encouraged me to go with him. And it wasn't long until I laid my eyes on my new wife, Anna, standing in the front during a Christmas service. After a bit of a chase and, uh, uh, with Anna, I start, we started to date. But there was one problem that stood in the way of our relationship. We were unequally yoked. She was walking with God and I wasn't. The first year of that relationship was hard, as Anna knew the Lord was working in my life, but she knew there was, she was doing wrong if the relationship was to go any further. And I could see it was hurting her. I knew God had a plan, so I, I wanted to stick at it. And so did she. Eventually, one Sunday, Anna sat down before God and before church. She prayed to God that if this relationship was to go any further, to show her that it was meant to be. And on that night, I sat listening to Mr. Greer preach about the changing sinner, or the changed sinner. And I sat in the pew with a heart that felt as though it was about to pop out of my chest, knowing that I had to be saved. I walked out of that service to go outside, and I got to the door, and I turned to Anna, and I said, I need to go back inside. And that night, on the 3rd of January, 2021, Mr. Greer and Mr. Stewart led me to the Lord. It was the happiest night of my life, feeling a burden lifted off my heart, knowing that I was forgiven of my past and that God was by my side. And Anna was happy that she could think about getting married. From becoming a Christian, I have found more contentment in my life, knowing that God has it all planned out and that I can come to him with any worries or problems in my life. Even though the Christian life can be difficult, from trying to read the Bible and pray every day to standing up to what you believe in. I know the Lord is always by my side. I just want to conclude by reading from one of my favourite verses in the Bible, found in Proverbs 27, verse 1, and it reads, Boast not of thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And I just want to say to those who are unsaved tonight that I had to consider my ways. And as I read Haggai, uh, for as Haggai read, or wrote, um, 
Nothing I did would bring satisfaction in my life from the world of sin and living my life not worrying about tomorrow. But I hope and pray for those who are unsaved, young and old, or living in the world, to consider your ways, for they know us not what a day they bring forth. Thank you. Well, as they make their way back down to their seats, I want to thank the young people uh, for singing tonight, and along with them, all the others who have taken part in the meeting, those on the instruments, uh, Mark, who opened in prayer, Lydia, who read, Phil, for a very appropriate uh, word of testimony, and the one person John didn't thank, which was himself, and I do thank John for leading the meeting tonight and for taking that pressure off me tonight so I could just focus on preaching. But I'd also want to thank the Youth Committee um, for inviting me back, I would say, to my own Youth Fellowship to preach in this week's mini-mission. I've enjoyed being back in that very familiar room. Um, rather than listening to someone else preach, though, to be the one uh, to preach myself, but also thankful that I had an opportunity to be so encouraged by the young people who made an effort to come um, night after night and in a week where I know, or at least at a time of year where I know there's a lot of different competing priorities uh, and different things that are on. So thank you for making the effort to come uh, and not only bringing yourselves but bringing your friends with you as well. Now it's not over yet. The youth mission uh, is still to come in terms of the message tonight. We have one meeting to finish and that means we have one more all-important question to answer. We've already dealt with a few of them during the course of the week. The first night we looked at who am I? The second was how am I thinking? The third, what am I doing? And tonight, the question I want you all to ask yourselves is this, where am I going? Where am I going? I want to look with you at Matthew chapter 19 tonight. If you open your Bible up to that particular chapter, Matthew chapter 19, we're going to study our way through um, from verse 16 to verse 26 tonight as we try to answer that question, where am I going? And so for sake of time, We'll not read all of those verses now, but we'll work our way through them in the course of the message. So once you have your Bible open at Matthew 19 and um, that passage from 16 to 26, we'll just pray and ask the Lord even to open this passage up to us tonight. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful tonight for everything that's already been said and done. We thank you for the scriptures that have already been read and that searching question of what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Lord, we pray that that question will even come together with the question that I have to deal with tonight, that together they will strike a powerful blow in the heart of some sinner tonight, young or old. We are thankful that we were able to hear Phil share with us what you've done in his life, how you've brought change in Him. And Lord, we pray that we will see the same thing happen in someone else tonight, that we will have someone brought to consider their ways, and out of that, the Holy Spirit bringing them to be born again and look to Jesus Christ for salvation. So we pray, speak through the Word, deal with all of our hearts, we pray, and may we know the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit as we do so, asking it in Jesus' name. Amen. Being an adult isn't easy. When you're young, 
it seems like it's easy, but it's only once you reach that stage in life for yourself that you realize it's really not. As a teenager, you might sometimes be watching your parents and you see them do particular things or say particular things or forget particular things, having one of their senior moments, and you probably think to yourself, how could you ever make a mistake like that? What, what, are, what are they doing? When I grow up and when I'm an adult or when I'm a parent, I'm never going to make mistakes like that. I'm never going to slip up in the way that they do. I used to think that way. Especially one example is whenever we would jump in the car on particular days and mum and dad, or mum or dad, I should say, they can't both drive at the same time. Mum or dad was driving and we're having a merry old time in the car, singing maybe, or just chatting, or maybe having an argument. But uh, eventually, as we're on our way, having a great time, all of a sudden, this journey would be interrupted by a confused gasp. And the driver of the car asks, almost as if it's somebody else's fault rather than theirs, this question, where is it we're going again? Where are we supposed to be going? A swift U-turn immediately follows, and the remainder of that journey is spent trying to work out how you can explain why you're 30 minutes late for school again. Now, the problem is that I know now exactly what it's like to be that incompetent driver. I'm not a young person anymore. I have children, and I drive, and sometimes I go in the complete wrong direction. It's very easy to find yourself on autopilot, being distracted by all kinds of different things, only at a certain point in time to catch yourself on and ask, where is it I'm going again? It's possible for you to live your life that way, just cruising along, not thinking too carefully, not looking at the signs or the directions, just obliviously traveling along wherever the road takes you until something or someone makes you snap out of it and ask the question, where am I going? That's what I hope God will do for you tonight through His Word. Stop you from sleepwalking through life, but get you to catch yourself on and ask yourself, where am I going? In Matthew chapter 19, we have someone here who seems to be looking for directions. He's not oblivious. He's not uninterested or distracted. He seems to be thinking very carefully about that particular question. He's been turning this one over in his mind, I imagine, for some time. And now he wants somebody to give him directions because he wants to make sure that he's going the way of life. And that's the first thing I want you to think about tonight, the way of life. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. And behold, one came and said unto him, that is Jesus, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. This man wants to know the way of life, and he's come to exactly the right person. If anyone wants to know the way to eternal life, surely Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's all-knowing and all-wise, surely he'll know the answer to that question. Well, Jesus' answer is maybe not what you might have expected, because he tells this thoughtful young man, if you want to go in the way of life, you must keep the commandments. By keeping the law, you can have eternal life. Isn't that salvation by works? 
Doesn't that stand in complete contradiction to the message of the gospel? Well, I think you'll see what Jesus is doing once we work our way through the remaining verses of this chapter. Jesus goes on in verses 18 and 19 to give this man examples of different commandments that he ought to have kept. The man responds in verse 20 by saying he's kept the law in all of the ways that Jesus has listed. Jesus goes on in verse 21. He says, if thou wilt be perfect, Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. What's the point that Jesus is getting at? He's showing that if any person is going to please God by keeping the law, then they will have to do it perfectly, if thou wilt be perfect. You need to understand this point tonight. In order to satisfy a perfectly holy God, His law must be obeyed perfectly. That is the way of life. Eternal life is impossible where the law of God has not been kept perfectly. It's not available if His law is not kept. You might never have heard anybody say anything like that before. You may be I've thought before that God's the kind of God who'll accept a good effort. If I try really hard, if I just do more good than bad, well then that hopefully will be enough. If I'm on the whole, what people would say is a good person, then God's going to be all right with that. Jesus is saying here that you don't get to decide what is right and wrong. He does. You don't get to decide how much of His law you are going to keep. He does. He has authority to demand that of you. And His standard has never changed. Perfection has always been the level required. To illustrate the point, let's think again about incompetent drivers. And again, that incompetent driver is me. I had some trouble passing my driving test. And on one of those occasions, and there were multiple, I was supremely confident as I sat in the parking bay outside the test center and waiting to begin that particular occasion. The examiner asked me to go ahead and reverse out of the space and then drive out of the test center onto the road. Piece of cake, I thought, as I checked my mirrors and absolutely nailed that part. I uh, released the clutch to the biting point. It was absolutely spot on, looked over my shoulder, to absolute perfection, released the clutch with masterful touch, but then the car started to move. Not backwards as I'd hoped, but forwards because the car was still in neutral. And that test, I think you can tell exactly how it went. An embarrassing error, but in my mind, still supremely confident, I thought that's just a minor one. That's a, a minor error, will be okay. I continued through the test, same confidence, and as I saw it, there were no other issues. We found ourselves back in that same parking bay 45 minutes later, and I waited expectantly for approval. The assured smile on my face wasn't replicated by the examiner as he explained that I was one of only a handful of candidates who'd managed to fail the driving test before they'd even left the parking space. And apparently, this whole leaving the car in neutral business is actually quite a big deal. It didn't matter if everything else I had done on that day was right. It didn't matter if I got more stuff wrong than right, or if I did generally a decent job on the test. I thought I'd done enough 
But in reality, I'd failed at the first hurdle before I even left the test center. Like the law of God, if there's just a single flaw, the whole thing is useless to you. You cannot get eternal life through the law of God unless it's perfection. So ask yourself tonight, where am I going? Are you going the way of life? Let me answer that question for you. I don't know everybody here, and I can't read your mind. I don't know the words that you say or the things that you do, but I can still say without a doubt in my mind that you are not going the way of life. That's shown by how this young man responds to Christ's challenge in verse 21, because in verse 22 we see, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Christ had already, in previous verses, listed for this man a number of commandments. And this fellow complacently thought that he'd managed to keep them all fully. But then he asked him to give away all of his money to the poor and follow him. There, Jesus isn't quoting word for word any of the commandments, but he's still on the same theme. He's still dealing with the law. He's still testing this man's claim to be able to keep the law fully. When he asked that man to give away all that he had and follow Christ, the test was to see if he could live out in reality the first commandment and the tenth. What are they? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not covet. When that man turned away, he was admitting defeat in respect of those two commandments. There was something he'd missed. Christ had so easily found a part of the law which he could not keep. He's fallen at the first hurdle. The first commandment is the one that he's broken. You're just the same. You have failed the test of the law of God. Not because I've witnessed it, but because the Bible tells us what the heart of man is like. The Bible says that none of us are going in the way of life. Instead, it tells us that we're all going in the way of death. This is your wake-up call. Ask yourself, where am I going? You are going the way of death. The Bible is clear that any who are unable to keep the law, unable to walk the way of life by fulfilling God's demand to keep it perfectly, they are instead walking the way that leads to death. Now, you haven't been deceived. It's not that God has kept this a secret from you so that you'll reach the end of your days on earth and you'll be wondering, why didn't God warn me? Why didn't He make it more clear that this is how it was all going to end? He's made it abundantly clear. Abundantly so. From the very beginning, He has explained that failing to keep His law ends in death. After explaining to Adam, the first man, his one very simple command not to eat from the forbidden tree, he said, The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
by breaking the law, you set yourself on the way of death. And for everybody here tonight, that is unavoidable. God's Word tells us that this is what we naturally tend towards. This is what our foolish and sinful hearts will always choose. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What you naturally want is against God, against His law. It ends in death. That's why this young man in Matthew 19, he was so misguided. He thought he, he, was, he was almost there. He thought he was pretty close, if not already there, to the perfect standard. The truth is, he was miles off. He wasn't even close. Because he, just like everybody else, is described in Romans 3.11, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not even close. You know it's true. You can't go a single day or a single hour without breaking God's law. So understand the way of life by keeping the law is real, but you have absolutely no ability to do it. In Matthew 7, we get a description of this way of death. It says, Wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. This is our natural preference. The broad road, what eventually comes to a wide gate beyond which lies death and destruction. Now think about the way those things are described. The gate's wide. Why? The road is broad. Why? Because this way is occupied by masses of people. It's broad and wide for that reason. The way of death is the one which you will find easiest. It's the smoothest road to travel. It's the popular road to travel. Humanly speaking, according to our foolishness, we think it's the most sensible road to travel. How wrong we are. Listen carefully to me. The way is not good because the path is smooth, because it's popular, because it's apparently sensible. The way is good depending on where it takes you. That's what determines if the way is good. The way is only good if it takes you to that which is good. And so a smooth, comfortable, popular, even enjoyable road to hell is not a road worth traveling. The journey is nothing like the destination. Ask yourself, where am I going? You are going the way of death. The way of life through the law is unachievable for every person in this world. The way of death is what we naturally want because we're against God and we're against His law. So you might be wondering, well, what are we all doing here? What is the point in church? What's the Bible all about? If there's no way to life and if we're all bound for death, no matter what we do, why bother? And Jesus' disciples effectively come to the same question. As they watch that young man turn away with a frown on his face, with absolutely no hope. Matthew 19, 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? 
who can be saved? If, if eternal life is only possible where God's law is kept perfectly, then is there hope for any of us? Aren't we all on this unavoidable course for death and hell? The men are asking about the way of salvation. Is there such a thing? Is there a way to be saved? Is there another road that we can travel? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 26. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Eternal life, it's not just difficult for you to achieve. It's more than just hard for you to walk in the way of life. Jesus says, it is impossible for you. With man, it is impossible, out of the question. But with God, eternal life is possible. There is a way of salvation. Understand, when Jesus says, with God, it's possible, He's not saying that God will strengthen you and help you and make you able to keep the law perfectly like this man was unable to do. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that God is going to lower His standard so that you can slip on by and all the while His law stands broken. That's not what Jesus is saying. The way of salvation must somehow simultaneously uphold God's demand for His law to be kept perfectly and at the same time allow sinful people to be saved and to enter into eternal life. How can those two things happen? Jesus is showing these men that salvation is found by those who look outside of themselves, away from man, away from self, but to another person, to a Savior, in this case, to a Savior who has kept the law of God perfectly. A Savior who has removed the death that that broken law deserves, and He is that person. He is that Savior. He reveals that much more clearly in a later conversation with His disciples, which He has with them at the Last Supper. In John 14, he describes to them the fact that in his father's house there are many mansions, and he gives this wonderful picture of what eternal life looks like and what heaven is like for those who go to enjoy it. Thomas asks him this question, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Eternal life sounds great. It sounds like somewhere I want to be, but we don't know the way to get there. Thomas is asking about the way of salvation. Jesus' answer are some of the most famous words in all of Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't keep the law of God. Jesus says, I can. You can't pay the high cost of sin during your life. Jesus says, I can. You can't find the way of life no matter how hard you look. Jesus says, I can. I'm going to obey for you. I'm going to bring eternal life to you. I'm going to pay the price instead of you. I am the way. So ask yourself, where am I going? You're not going on the way of life. That's only for those who can keep God's law perfectly. And you can't do that no matter how hard you try. 
you are currently on the way of death. It comes naturally to you. It's easy. It's popular. It's a straightforward way to go, but it ends in destruction. Jesus offers to you the way of salvation, not in or through yourself, but in and through Him alone. He kept the law you broke. He died the death that sinners deserve. As we come to a finish tonight, if if you're concerned about this, you should be. If you're just realizing now, perhaps for the first time, that you've been traveling along a road in the complete wrong direction, you might be panicking right now. You might be terrified in your seat. There's a way to turn around. There's a way to peace. Jesus told His disciples in that same chapter, John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is the U-turn. This is the answer. Yes, being concerned about it is reasonable, but it won't save you. Realizing the end point of the path you're on, that's good. I want you to realize that tonight, but it's not the same as actually turning around. The way of salvation is only by believing in Jesus Christ. His obedience to the law you broke. His death on the cross for your sins. I pray that your concern will be replaced by faith. May the Spirit of God make it so tonight. Let us close, please, in a word of prayer. And as our heads are bowed, let me indicate that I'll be at the door tonight shaking hands as people leave. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about this, to explain more fully to you how you can go in the way of salvation. And yet you don't need me. Though I am willing to help you, you need Jesus Christ. He's the one I will point you to. He's the one who is able to forgive sin. And so, I pray that one way or another you come to Him tonight and don't go home without Him. And so I make myself available if you wish to speak after the meeting is over. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks tonight for the way of salvation. We give thanks that though eternal life through the law is impossible for any man, Yet it was possible with God. That law was kept by the God-man. That penalty of the law was suffered by the same Savior. And now we're thankful that that salvation is offered freely to all. So, Lord, we pray, by the Holy Spirit, draw sinners to accept the offer of salvation. To come, as we sang earlier, by the way of the cross, which leads home. Bring sinners home, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen.